You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, this is Dan Dickerson, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. How about Dan Dickerson bringing us into show number 10? Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Road to Detroit podcast. Glad to have you along here. We are in double digits in RTD episodes, and this one will be all about rankings. A lot of the new prospect rankings have come out. The midseason updates, places like Baseball America, The Athletic, everyone's coming out with a new addition to the Tigers' top prospects. There have been some guys that have shot up the boards. There are some guys that have gone down a couple of pegs. So we'll talk about that, and we'll see why guys are moving up, maybe see why guys are falling back a little bit. Emily Walden of The Athletic is scheduled to join us in just a little bit. We'll also talk with Tigers third-round pick Andre Lipsius, former member of the Tennessee Volunteers. That's the school that gave the Tigers Kristen Stewart once upon a time. And Andre Lipsius actually broke Kristen Stewart's single-season home run record for the University of Tennessee. So we'll talk about that. He's an interesting story. A bio-nuclear engineering major. Also has a twin brother that played on that Tennessee team with him. So we'll talk about that. We'll learn a little bit about Andre Lipsius and find out more about a pretty fascinating story. This guy with that kind of major clearly had a backup plan in case baseball did not work out. So Andre Lipsius and Emily Walden on the docket here for the 10th edition of The Road to Detroit. We'll go over the top 30 rankings in the newest edition of the Athletics ranking of the top 30 Tigers prospects. Baseball America came out as well. They updated their midseason prospects for Detroit. So we've got a lot to cover and not a whole lot of time to do it. Let's hit the on-ramp. Let's start with Connecticut. The Connecticut Tigers took two of four on the road in Aberdeen before returning home. They took one out of two over the Brooklyn Cyclones. And when it comes to Connecticut Tigers standouts, you don't have to look too far. It's Riley Green, who has now been ranked as the Tigers' number three midseason prospect in the entire Tigers organization. Here's what he's doing in Connecticut. The first-round pick in this year's draft is hitting 326, a 415 on base. This past week, three for six, four runs batted in, just a single shy of the cycle against Tri-Cities. This is a kid who's not only respected in terms of his talent on the field, but in talking with guys that have already played in Connecticut and moved their way slightly up the system, everybody to a man thinks Riley Green is an outstanding young man. One of those guys that actually wants to learn about you and find out the kind of person that you are rather than just talk about himself. And that's so important, especially at 18 years old. I had a player who shall remain nameless. When we asked about what Riley Green might look like, his response, Ken Griffey Jr., That was the comp, and obviously that's high praise and a really high bar. But again, it just goes to show how much these guys not only like the guy, but also the player as well. He's been doing a lot of things that 18-year-olds don't typically do. Riley Green has been turning heads over and over down in Connecticut. Over to West Michigan. They went on a six-game road trip and actually had a little more success than they've had over the course of the season. They won three out of those six ball games, two out of three in Beloit. 
They scored some runs. They dropped two out of three on the road at Wisconsin. But Brad Bass, the big tuna, as he's called, spinoff of the nickname of Jim Halpert from the TV show The Office. We talked a little bit about The Office last week on the RTD. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to the conversation with Matt Manning, who might be one of the biggest fans of the office in the entire Tiger system. But we digress. Brad Bass, tremendous on Monday afternoon in Appleton, Wisconsin. Seven and two-thirds innings, no runs. Four hits, all singles, didn't walk anybody, struck out nine. Hey, big tuna. Brad Bass coming through on Monday afternoon. West Michigan hit the baseball this past week. The fifth round out of ECU, Bryant Packard really started to come into his own. Five for seven... Obviously, six RBIs. He had home runs in back-to-back games. He had a double and a home run in each of the first two games of the series against the Beloit Snappers. Then got a little bit of tendonitis in his elbow. He was placed on the injured list. We're hoping to see him back in a couple of weeks. Not considered to be all too serious. Andre Lipsius, who we'll talk to in just a little bit, the third rounder out of Tennessee, has already been ranked the Tigers' number 14 prospect by the folks at Baseball Prospectus. Well, he's finally clicked into gear in West Michigan. Last 10 games, he's hitting 385. Is it fair to call him Andre the Giant? Where's Andre when you need him? I'm about to warm up to him. <laughs> what about that guy? He's interesting, and we're going to catch up and find out a lot more about Andre coming up in just a little bit. How about Jack Kenley, the eighth rounder out of Arkansas? One of the better players in the country. And I was talking to a scout who said he had no idea how Kenley fell into the eighth round given his time in the SEC. Well, on his road trip, he ended up hitting three homers in six games, had a couple of doubles, three for five with two long balls in the first game at Beloit. The only white cap to hit two home runs in a particular ball game. Also can pick it at second base. So a lot to be excited about with a lot of the members of this 2019 draft class. Jack Kenley, certainly one of those players. Over to Lakeland. The Flying Tigers won three of four at Dunedin. They return home. They lost three out of four against Daytona. A couple of guys played well. Dylan Rosa hit 375 this past week. Three runs batted in, eighth homer of the year against Dunedin. He's really improving in a lot of the important statistical categories. Hit under 230 in West Michigan in 2018, but he's now near about 260 up in high A. Power's still there, still working on driving in a few more runners, but still, Dylan Rosa, a guy that is one of the more interesting behind-the-scenes stories. So Dylan Rosa was born with a speech impediment, a stutter. George Springer, the outfielder of the Houston Astros, also struggles from the same speech impediment. But this is a kid who has worked over that obstacle. He told us last season that he was made fun of as a kid growing up in elementary school and into junior high. And it was sort of baseball that kind of saved him, that got him away from being ridiculed as a young man and allowed him to find his niche. So in a lot of ways, baseball can do that for you. It can save and really help change your entire outlook on life. And Dylan Rosa is one of those examples. So Dylan Rosa is continuing to improve as he goes up the ladder. That's always a really good sign. Over to Erie. The Seawolves swept the Akron Rubber Ducks in three games before going on the road and winning three out of four games against Richmond. Casey Mize, he came back to Erie, and it was a rough day for Casey. Mize gave up six runs on six hits, could not get out of the first inning, and I think that's got some people concerned. I mean, look, Casey Mize, had he not been so dynamite in every single start leading up to the game in which he left with that shoulder soreness, people would be just kind of saying, all right, well, everyone has a bad day every now and then. So 
The question will be what happens in his next start. It's how he follows that up. And there's a little bit more riding on Casey Mize's next start than some of the others he's had this year. Tarek Skubal, the Tigers' ninth-round pick out of Seattle. I'll tell you what, there might not be a prospect in baseball whose stock is going higher right now faster than Tarek Skubal. His third straight multi-strikeout game against the Richmond Flying Squirrels. Six innings, no runs, one hit, 13 strikeouts. Wait until you hear these numbers that Tarek has put up in Erie. One of the more underrated prospects in all of baseball. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he entered the top 100 prospects in the game before season's end. And if he keeps putting up numbers like this, they're going to have no choice to put him in that top 100. So here's what he's done in his three games at Erie. By the way, they got to score some runs for him. He has gone three sterling outings and somehow has a record of 0-1. and one. So first of all, Erie, start to hit for Tarek Skubal. 16 innings, two runs, only one of those are earned. He's only given up five base hits. Opponents are hitting under 100 against this guy. He's walked four, and he struck out 34 batters in 16 innings. That's more than two batters per frame. He has been nasty. A 0.56 ERA. Altogether this year, Scooble's got a combined ERA of 224 in 18 games and 96 in the third innings, but 131 strikeouts. Saw a tweet from John Morosi of MLB.com. He actually said that there were comps to Matthew Boyd. So how appropriate is that, considering that they're in the same system? A lot of people are starting to notice the work of Tarek Scooble. Last but not least, off to Toledo, where Johnny Schreiber helped the Mudhens split a four-game series at Durham before losing two out of three at home against the Syracuse Chiefs. Here's what Johnny Schreiber did over the course of this past week. Three and two-thirds innings, no runs on just one hit, struck out five. He has not allowed a run out of the bullpen since July 3rd. And in case you missed the latest edition of the Tigers' Road to Detroit feature, they gave us a spotlight on Johnny Schreiber. Always a Tigers fan. Brandon Inns, Jeremy Bonderman, Ordonez, whole bunch of guys that you know I can rifle off, but a bunch of legends, you know. One of the best days of my life. Every kid dreams of playing for their hometown team, you know. I couldn't help but you know tear up, and everybody was just crying and all that stuff, and everybody was super happy, and we were just—it was just unbelievable. Nobody expects to go to your hometown team, so I mean, it was just awesome. It was awesome. I remember watching him take the mound in West Michigan back in 2017. Kind of a virtual unknown. Was not a high draft pick. Found his way to West Michigan, and he was one of the most dominant relievers for the Whitecaps over the course of the past decade. When you think about dominant relievers, Joe Jimenez comes to mind. So does Johnny Schreiber. He had an ERA of 0.54 in West Michigan. A .66 whip. Struck out 70 batters in 50 innings. I mean, this guy was absolutely phenomenal on the mound. And the best part is, he's a Tigers fan. How, how cool is it when we're talking about guys who actually grew up with this team? The 2016, the team that took all of us by surprise, Johnny Schreiber was sitting in the stands at Comerica Park while that was happening. The players that I think we can gravitate to the easiest are the ones that we know love that team. It makes us kind of pull towards that athlete. That's a look at the on-ramp.
The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Andre Lipsius has been on a terror in his last 10 games, batting nearly 400 in an 11-game hitting streak. Andre Lipsius, the Tigers' third-round pick out of Tennessee, a very interesting background to find him as a Detroit Tigers draftee. Andre joins us now. Andre Lipsius, how are you, my friend? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you guys? It's good to have you. Now, first of all, before we start anything, are you aware that you seemingly play the game of baseball with a perpetual smile on your face? Yeah, I always uh, always like to have fun when I'm playing those games. And you've been able to do this, obviously, for a long time now. What a whirlwind six weeks, though. I mean, describe what it was like, because we don't have to go that far back to hear about draft day for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. It, 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 so many things happen so fast. Whether it's getting drafted, getting sent different places, everything's moving so fast, and it, it's really cool to experience everything and uh, be a part of the Tigers organization. Andre, you played your college ball at Tennessee, and this is a place that the Tigers are really familiar with. And I want to get into that in a second. The fact that you got to play with your twin brother on that team is very cool. Talk to us about Luke. Tell us a little bit about him and the fact that you guys have been able to play on the same team for probably a long time now, at least until the last six weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome being a part of a team or many teams where you have your twin brother and your brother there to support you. I mean, luckily we didn't have to compete a whole lot because we're complete opposites, but he's always been there for me. We're always encouraging each other, pushing each other to be better. And if someone's, if one of us is doing something wrong, the other one's holding each other accountable. So it's it's nice because you know you can say anything to your brother, and they're gonna take it either with a grain of salt or they're gonna uh, understand where you're coming from. Especially because we understand each other a whole lot. So it's nice to have somebody like that on the team. It's basically a built-in best friend. So <laughs> it's nice having them there and. It's a little weird playing without him, but I know he's doing good things and he'll be a part of uh, this whole thing later on. How competitive are the two of you? What's something that you're clearly better at than he is and vice versa? Well, I mean, we we compete at a lot of stuff, whether it's, you know, ping pong or basketball in the driveway or, you know, we've competed for years on many different things. He'll tell you that he won't, he won't agree with me, but I'm better at him at ping pong, but... Uh, we, we we play a lot of different games, and it's just kind of, I mean, he, he's a little bit bigger than me. He's a first baseman, he, so he's a little bit stronger. But, you know, it, it's we didn't we didn't have to compete baseball-wise a lot growing up, so it was, it was nice having someone that's always there. I'm glad you mentioned the baseball side because you mentioned him as a first baseman. You started at that same position, but then you moved around a little bit. So you start at first base, then you end up at shortstop, then they move you to third, and you play three different positions in three different seasons. How was that for you, and how has that helped you now based on all the experience you had in that infield back at UT? Well, it it was awesome because the freshman year, we didn't really have a spot in the infield, so they kind of stuck me at first base. Sophomore year, I had to step up and play the – you know, leader of the infield, and luckily we had a uh, another guy step in a short my junior year. But I mean, none of it would have been possible without one of the uh, one of the ex Tigers, Ross Kivett. He helped me out a ton moving positions because he knows a lot background in defense and base running, and he he helped me a ton to be able to play those different positions and be able to be successful at those different positions. So, you know, it, it's tough, but at the same time, it, it prepares you, especially for this level. I feel like. 
I'm comfortable at every single position they put me at. So it, it's nice having that background of utility and all that stuff. So it makes it a lot easier to uh, play these different positions they have me playing here right now. I'm glad you mentioned Ross Kivett. For those of you who don't know, Ross Kivett was a Tigers sixth-round draft pick back in 2014, ended up topping out in double-A, but then immediately became a coach at the University of Tennessee, one of the third coaches, a volunteer coach to a certain extent. But Ross Kivett has been running camps. He's been working with guys like Andre and the rest of the Tennessee volunteers. Describe your relationship to Ross since he's now become, he's gone from a player, now he's a coach, and the effect it's had on you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been awesome getting to, getting to know Ross. Kind of a love-hate relationship. Sometimes we can get <laughs> on each other or whatever, but, you know, he, he's an awesome dude. And he, he, was, uh, he was there for me on draft day, and he's called me a lot since. And it's been really nice having somebody to talk to. I mean, it, it, it kind of sucks the whole uh, third coach didn't get passed for the SEC or anything because he he deserves it with how much work he puts in at the field and with other guys. So it, it kind of does suck that he, he's still a volunteer assistant, as he said. But I mean, he he deserves a lot more. So we'll see how that goes. But you know, it, it, that relationship with Ross, I think, will you know be there for a long time. And luckily, he he's not that much older, so it's you know it's nice having somebody you can just bounce ideas off of and he, he knows about all the different levels whether it's college or pro and because he's been through it so it's just it's nice having somebody like that to talk to and be friends with or whatever you want to call it Andre Lipsius knows firsthand that Ross Kivett has put a ton of time in and a ton of hours in working at Tennessee in his coaching career now speaking of Tennessee your major is fascinating because there's not a lot of guys who get drafted anywhere in Major League Baseball that have a nuclear engineering background, but that's exactly what you have. You spent three years at Tennessee. How hard was that to keep up with while also playing baseball? Because not all majors are created equal. Well, I mean, of course it was tough, especially with how much homework, you know, engineering likes to give and stuff like that, but uh, honestly, it wasn't it wasn't as taxing as people think it is, just because the help we had. I mean, we had this our academic advisor Megan Anderson. She's an angel, and she made everything super easy for everybody. Whether it was letting you know when you had a test, letting you know when you had homework, setting up tutors, anything like that, she was she was there to help. So, um, it, it's kind of. It's kind of you know the here and there because I I love math in general so it it was it was easy it's school's a lot easier when you're doing something you enjoy so it wasn't as taxing as people think besides just the homework and stuff but daily routine was just wake up school practice homework so I mean it, it I got into a routine so it made it easier but uh, it ended up being just fine with the help of Megan Anderson and you know my brother too he was engineering background so. Having someone in the house that did the same stuff and understood what you were doing could help you out was nice. Andre Lipsius joins us, Tigers third-round pick out of Tennessee. So what are your plans? Because I assume if you've put three years of time into a nuclear engineering major, you're not going to not finish it up and get your degree. I know baseball's top of mind for you right now, but have you even given any thought to how you want to finish this thing out? Uh, we'll, we'll see right now. I'm focused on baseball, but... 
So I'm putting all my energy into that. I mean, I'm eventually going to go back to school. I'm only two classes away from a math minor. So we'll see whether I want to, you know, completely finish the engineering degree or try to work in a front office doing math. So we'll, we'll see. Andre Lipsius broke Kristen Stewart's single-season home run record this past year at Tennessee. And that's a school that a ton of former volunteers have had end up Tigers draftees. What did you heard about the Tigers from former guys once you got drafted? Uh, I mean, I hadn't heard much because I hadn't talked to a lot of them about the organization organization as much. I mean, I talked to AJ probably of the AJ Simcox probably more than anyone that's been drafted besides Ross, and all of them kind of just said the same thing. It's a great time to be in the organization right now, and you want to just make your best and like make a make make what's best of the opportunity you're given. So it's kind of the same thing you know it's a grind going into it playing every day but i mean if you love the game it makes it a lot easier what clicked there at tennessee for you this year because this was your best offensive season uh i don't know everything kind of comes together so when when we got there when when the new coaching staff got there josh elander was kind of my hitting guy that i always went to whether it was when i was struggling when i was going good and he just I was able to talk baseball with every single one of the coaches and try to understand the game, different scenarios, what to do in different counts. So I think the understanding of the game was definitely there and definitely elevated my game to the level it's at now. And, I mean, it wouldn't have been possible without the coaches over there, whether it was Tony Vitello, uh, Quentin Eberhardt, or Josh Elander. It was just, I mean an awesome, awesome group of guys that you could always talk to and understand the game more and talk about the game and be able to elevate yourself to a, to a level that you didn't think was possible. So far batting 268 with a 333 on base, 29 games in, but even that's a little misleading. Last 10 games, almost 400 at the plate. Andre Lipsy has had an 11-game hit streak in terms of what you're hoping that your career can look like down the road, it's funny because you're playing second base right now in West Michigan and you've played every other position while at Tennessee. So you basically can play just about anywhere in the infield, but what's your hopeful big league role? Uh, contributor. That's what I always try to do. No matter where I'm at, at Tennessee, I had to be the leading contributor and here I'm just trying to contribute in my first year. So I'm trying to do my best every game to be able to contribute something, whether it's defensive, offensive, or, you know, on the bases. But any any way I can contribute to the team and scoring runs and stuff, I think is uh, what my goal is going to be. So uh, down the road, if I can be a contributor for the Detroit Tigers, that would be absolutely amazing. Something tells me they're going to like that answer. Good stuff. Congratulations on a good start, especially over the last two weeks. It's fun watching you hit. There's a real hand-eye coordination that you just can't teach, and Andre Lipsius certainly has that. Thanks so much for joining us here on the RTD. Thank you. I appreciate it. Time for Best in Class. Another edition of Best in Class of all the Tigers minor leaguers over the past week. This one made the most noise. This week's winner of Best in Class is Spencer Watkins, a 26-year-old right-hander who went to Double A Erie 
And in a start against Richmond back on July 18th, had a start that I know he'll never forget. He actually came not only within one out, but one strike of a no-hitter, and he lost it on an opposite field ground ball single. The Erie Seawolves had the infield shifted over to the right side against the left-handed batter, and of course, he just bounded one down where the third baseman typically stands. Who needs the shift anyway? So Richmond breaks up the Spencer Watkins no-hitter. Drew Carlton came on, got the final man out, and finished the deal as Erie beat Richmond by a final score of 3 to nothing. But Spencer Watkins, a kid that has worked his tail off, he's been at a couple different levels of the Tigers minor league system. 8-3 overall, a 5.09 ERA. Spencer Watkins had an uphill battle. He was a 30th round pick back in 2014 by the Tigers out of Western Oregon. And typically, if you're a 30th round pick, Your odds of even getting out of spring training the following year are not very good. But then again, ever since 2014, Spencer Watkins has been an arm in the Tiger system. Played a handful of seasons at West Michigan. He's actually split 2019 between Toledo and Erie. But Spencer Watkins had a night that I'm sure he'll always remember coming one strike away from a potential no-hitter. He didn't get the no-hitter, but he does have our award for best in class. Nate Wangler has an honorable mention here on the RTD. Honorable mention for episode 10 is Dylan Rosa. Now, we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Now, hold He's, on. Dylan Rosa, wasn't he the honorable mention a couple of weeks ago? I believe he was. All right. So that's two honorable mentions for you, Dylan Rosa. Wow. That, that's that got to make you feel, like, almost awesome. <laughs> that was a standing ovation. I was standing up. You that was not. See he it, was but... sitting down. Don't let him lie to you. <laughs> He's been pretty well lately. We might have to rename this award the Dylan Rosa Honorable Mention Award for Best in Class. This is turning into a bit of a trend. That's a good thing, right? Look. He's right up there. He's still playing well. Right. Doesn't matter. He didn't win the thing, but he still has an honorable mention. You're one step away. 375 in the past week. Three RBIs. uh, Lifted his eighth home run. Now listen, this was a kid who was drafted out of Kent State. He was recruited to play both D1 football and and D1 baseball, but decided to stick with baseball because that was his first love. But he's a solid kid, athletic build, works hard every day, has a lot of superstitions, and I'm sure we can get into that at a later time. But he's hitting with a lot of power, and he's just three away from matching what he did in West Michigan last year, which was a team leading 11 home runs. Spencer Watkins, the best in class. The Dylan Rosa Honorable Mention Award goes to Dylan Rosa. Dylan Rosa. (laughs) Of course. The Road to Detroit podcast continues, episode 10, and our first in-studio guest here in RTD history, Emily Walden of The Athletic, joins us now. Em, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for stopping by. So, we've got a lot to talk about. Now, Emily's most recent article just came out on The Athletic, is the Tigers' top 30 prospects, a mid-season review of Mize, Manning, and other up-and-comers. You can find Emily on Twitter at Emily C. Walden. So, Honestly, if you're okay with this, I just kind of want to run down from the top down and just kind of go over some of the main bullet points of the Tigers' top 30 as you have them ranked in midseason. Is that fair for you? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. We have to start at the top and we start with Casey Mize. What is he dealing with? How much of a concern is this? He had an outstanding start, but all of a sudden, after leaving that one start with some shoulder issues, he's not been the same guy. It's true. And a lot of people have said, well, you know, he looks fine, he feels fine. But to me, when you look at his past college performances, how he started out the year, 
something's off, you know, to see his track record of success and then to see him slipping as bad as he is, it's going to leave you no choice but to ask questions. I've talked to multiple people about it. They all say he's healthy. They say he feels fine. But something just tells me there's a little bit off there for whatever reason. You know, we kind of knew with Casey Mize that he had some, I don't want to say issues medically in college, but what we did see was a guy who was really good at the beginning of the season and then fell off as the year went on. He kind of struggled down the stretch of his final season at Auburn. So what do you attribute this to? Is it more this is just the Casey Mize that we have gotten to know or maybe there's something more going on? I think it's still him kind of finding his flow because he's obviously faced a lot of different lineups. Um, There's going to be differences to everyone he has. He even complained about some stuff with his overall pitch mix, you know, complained about fastball command, you know, some concerns that he had there. And for those of the people there who know him, he's a fierce, fierce competitor and he's a perfectionist. So if it's not exactly how he wants it, he's not going to be real happy about it. So I think for him, just finding himself at the minor league level, I think it's a little bit you know, underrated about how tough of a task that is. Even if you are, you know, really sharp arm in college, it's just a different playing field, you know, literally and figuratively. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up. If Mize continues to go out and struggle the way he has the last couple of times out, you almost wonder with how much of a perfectionist that he is, if he's almost going to be interested in shutting things down for a while because of the kind of guy that we've learned him to be. Yeah, absolutely. And he almost, his mentality almost kind of reminds me of a Daniel Norris type where he's going out there and just pushing so, so, so hard going. I know I'm capable of so much more. And I think that's part of what the Tigers loved about him is that he's constantly driving to get better, perform better, be better as a pitcher. And I think, you know, with the investment that the Tigers had in him, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they do cut him a little bit short this year just to let him cool his heels get in a better place mentally, and get ready to be fresh next year. Casey Mize, the top prospect in the midseason re-ranks of the Tigers' top 30. Emily Walden joins us. Number two is Matt Manning. Now, obviously, we'll start with the most important question on Matt Manning. What do you think of the cleats he wore in the Futures game, The Office, his favorite TV show? I was a huge fan of those. That was actually the first question I asked him in the clubhouse before the game, and he just grinned ear to ear. He was so proud of those shoes. (laughs) And so we kind of talked a little bit about the backstory of it. Um, For those who aren't familiar, part of his uh, pregame routine now where he'll watch an episode before a start to kind of take off some of the nerves. He said he still deals with some nerves every once in a while, and he said it just helps him relax and kind of cut loose a little bit and the company he went with, um, I forget the name of the, the group, but they do custom cleats. And he went to them. They created those. Fantastic work by those guys. They were awesome. One of my favorite bits about what Matt Manning did, and you can catch us on the last edition of the RTD, episode nine. We gave him different quotes from different characters on The Office. And one of them was, I do not apologize unless I think <laughs> I'm wrong. If you don't like it, you can leave. That's attributed to Stanley Hudson. Matt Manning said not only is that from Stanley, but he said that to somebody just a couple of days before. I love Matt Manning. But let's talk about him on the field because he he continues to strike batters out at a pretty good clip. He has had a couple of less than starts his last couple of times out, but still, again, Manning continues just to be, at the very worst, just reliable every time he seems like he goes out and can even get by with less than his best stuff. Absolutely, and I spoke with A.J. Sager, the Tigers' um, roving pitching coordinator, and he said really the most impressive thing to him was how fluidly 
Matt would handle these transitions to higher levels. He knows his stuff. He told me before the Futures game, he said, my changeup is really, really in a good place right now. Had really impressive work with his curveball last season. The fastball obviously speaks for itself. You're looking at 97, sometimes 98 miles an hour with, with good life on it. For him, I think the fact that he's still just about 21, he's facing some tough lineups, and you've really got to work to kind of adapt to what you're facing and just kind of become more creative as you go because that's a tough league to pitch in. Let's couple these two names together. The first two. They're in the article name, so we may as well talk about Casey Mize and Matt Manning together. In your opinion, what's the timeline on these two in Detroit? Because there's still another level to hit in Toledo, and there's still a lot of considerations when it comes to service time, the rebuild. There's a lot of other factors at play here. Yeah, I think it's really not so much a situation of what I think will happen as it's about the rebuild. Do the Tigers decide to make one of those last-minute surprise moves? Do I think that they have stuff that could work at that level? Yes. Do I think it's premature? Yes, I do. I think that using time in AAA for both of them would be beneficial, especially factoring in Casey's possible lingering issues. We, we don't have that confirmed, but if there is any lingering stuff that he's dealing with, Better to play it safe, in my opinion, because that's the top arm in the organization right now. Those guys ranked numbers one and two, respectively, Mize and Manning, in the top 30 prospects of The Athletic. Number three is Riley Green. And in talking to different players who have played with Riley already as a professional, they rave about him just as much off the field as they do on the field. What have you heard about Riley Green, who's ranked as your number three Tigers prospect? Yeah, outside of the glowing reviews from Miguel Cabrera, who joked, can we keep him in Detroit from the the hitting that he had there at Comerica for the day? Obviously, the bat speaks for itself, but someone who knew him really well in high school attributed a lot of his character to his relationship with his parents, said his parents did so much to keep him on the right track. The hardest part for his parents were going, oh, my gosh, you know, he's about to get signed and he's 18 years old. And so having to transition as a parent, for those of you who have kids, you know how challenging that can be. But to just sort of push him out of the nest and say, we've done as much as we can for you for this point. We're going to be on the sidelines cheering you on. But now this is up to you. So it's a huge step for parents, and I think Riley's handled it really well so far. Riley hitting over 300 at both levels, Gulf Coast League, and now in Connecticut. Any chance we see Riley Green get a cup of coffee in West Michigan before season's end? I think we definitely do. I think you're looking at a timeline similar to like a Wenzel Perez profile where I think they're up for a challenge. They're up for a little bit of a push. Obviously, they're developing at different paces, but it's still that young 18, 19-year-old profile who they need a little bit of a challenge. And the Midwest League is perfect, whether you're a pitcher or a hitter on both sides. If Riley Green ends up in West Michigan, he would be the first ever white cat to be born after the turn of the millennium. They would have three different teenagers <laughs> on that team. Talking with Emily Walden, we'd love to talk about every single player on this list. We just don't have the kind of time to do that. But Jake Rogers is your number six prospect, 24 years old, kind of started to figure things out with the bat in Erie last year. We're seeing that same learning curve now in Toledo. Yeah, I spoke with him a little bit at the Futures game about that, too. And he said it's all about mentally adapting to more advanced pitching. And I know several hitters this year have said that jump from double-A to triple-A is a lot bigger than people give it credit for. You're facing more advanced pitchers. They're craftier. They're going to keep you off your toes. And for Jake, I think the fact that he's smart enough to know what he needs to do, that's going to help him work out those mental sides of it. He said it's really not physical for him. It's all a mental place. And so that's really where he's working to kind of get sharper at. You know, when you have one area of the game figured out, 
like he does. He's such a good defensive catcher. He can dedicate more time to honing his offensive craft. But, you know, when you're a guy like Jake Rogers, you know, you know that that part of the game is going to take care of itself. You've talked to him. How's he mentally processing the struggles that he's had? Because he had those same issues in Erie. He did. And I will say this about, you know, so many of the guys and like Dan, you're familiar with this too. All the personalities, some of them handle pressure better than others. I have never once had a conversation with Jake where he was even remotely depressed. He's always putting a positive spin on things. And he says, you know, I need I need to work here, but this is my plan for it. This is how I plan to work and get better. Spent a lot of time with Mike Hessman, who we all know has a fairly impressive track record for hitting, knows a thing or two. And the minor league <laughs> career leader in home runs. He's the real life Crash Davis. Real life Crash Davis. And with Jake it's really just about him continuing to get into that place mentally. I think he's got the swing for it. Scouts have complimented his batting practice swing, and I think that shows if he can just transition that into the box during the game, you've got a lot to work with there. Let's drop down from number six to number 11. Now, Tarek Skubal had been ranked as high as number five in some other midseason prospect rankings, but Emily Walden has Tarek Skubal at 11. My question to you, Emily why do you hate Tarek Scoovel? You know, my question is to Tarek, why are you making me look so silly with all this success? <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, he has been one of the most incredible surprises this year. I think we all saw plenty of stuff there for, for us to dream on, stuff for the Tigers to work with developmentally. He has gone above and beyond all of our expectations. Personally, I love when guys prove me wrong, and I think Tarek is... Number one example of that right now, and I'm excited to see where he goes. You know, and kind of branching off of that, you know, you look back at that Tigers 2018 draft class, and you start to see a guy like Scooble, who's worked his way into vaulted prospect status. Maybe farther in that draft, too, Ethan DeCaster is a guy who's had a lot of success. He's already bounced between double and triple A. That's talking about guys picked in the ninth and 17th round. We haven't even gotten into the fact that Casey Mize was taken in that same draft. Their number one prospect, Cody Clemens, was taken in that draft. Parker Meadows, you know, look, you can get on some draft classes for the Detroit Tigers in recent years, but 2018 has actually looked pretty good. It has, definitely in comparison. And, you know, talking about other classes, 2017, that was a bit more of a challenging class. 2016 was a good mix of, of some different guys. Obviously, Matt Manning was in that class. And I think for Detroit, getting those specific positive draft classes, that's huge towards the rebuild. You want to get these guys who are going to be solid core members of the staff moving in the future. And unfortunately for the fans, it's going to be a few years yet before we see them move ahead. Talking to Emily Walden, down to number 15, Franklin Perez, who was a perennial top five prospect. He still is a member of the top 100 on MLB Pipeline. You have him down to number 15. You know, injuries have played such a huge role with Franklin Perez. I just don't think we really have a good gauge on what he is. And if all the arm injuries and all the different ailments that he's had to deal with are going to affect what he is as a product on the field. He's still just 21 years old, but a guy that's starting to be a little bit more of a question mark than he was when he first came over. Absolutely. And for those who kind of heard the backstory of what he brought to the table when he first came to Detroit, every reason in the world to be excited about him. He flew through the system prior to coming to the Tigers. And unfortunately, I mean, he's been limited to what, seven and two thirds, I think this year. So we really, I agree with you. We really haven't seen what he's capable of. And we're all hoping that he can sort of bounce back here in the next year or two. So let's move down this list a little bit. A lot of new members of this 2019 draft class. You know, we 
talked about 2018 and some of the guys from that. But Nick Quintana currently ranked as your number 12 overall prospect. Been a slow start for him at the professional ranks, but you don't have to go too much farther down to see guys like Andre Lipsius, who was the third-round pick of the Tigers, and Bryant Packard, who was number 20 on your list, a fifth-rounder out of ECU, a guy that can definitely square up the baseball. Yeah, absolutely, and I spoke with multiple scouts about Bryant, and they had all said he's on their radar purely for the bat. You know, obviously... He can, he can defend. There's no issue there, but really the, it's a bat-first profile, and the potential there to see his bat continue to develop I think is really promising for the Tigers. Obviously had a little bit of a, a shaky run this year, had the injury to deal with, but I think you've got a lot of potential there, and it's going to be fun to watch him develop. You know, another interesting position in the minor league system is catcher. You know, we talked about Jake Rogers a little bit, but you know, hypothetically, let's talk about if there needs to be another answer beyond Jake Rogers. And you know, there have been some catchers that have come out in the drafts the last couple of years. The you know, number two overall pick last year, Joey Bart, was a highly regarded guy. Tigers decided to go for Casey Mize, who was the consensus first overall pick. If there are a couple of other catchers in this system behind Rodgers, I saw Elysier Alfonso was a catcher from Connecticut, still just 19. He's ranked at number 27. You follow that up with Cooper Johnson at number 28. Johnson and Alfonso, probably two very different profiles. Is that fair? I would definitely agree with that. Alfonso's profile is not as flashy as Johnson. Johnson's got a lot more, I guess you could say, accolades for his defense, has a really strong arm, really advanced instincts, according to one of the college scouts who saw him early on. And I think with Alfonso, it's going to be more of a, you know, slow but steady process. He's a favorite of Brian Pena, who we all know is very supportive of his guys he had in the GCL last year. And he has also moved on to Connecticut to manage this year. So really somebody who he believes in, and I think there's a lot of potential, but it's still very young and a raw profile, but there's there's stuff that could come together. I'm excited to see it. In terms of managers, let's get away from that prospect list for just a second. Just some of your impressions of some of the guys in terms of the managerial jobs this year. I know that Mike Rabello's had all kinds of success in AA Erie, and Brian Payne is coming off of a GCL championship. I guess we'll start with those two guys. What has made those two guys as successful as they've been? Yeah, I think in the case of Pena, for anybody who knows him or remembers him from his Tigers day, constant source of positivity. He's always smiling, always upbeat. And a lot of the players mentioned to me last year, they said it was because of him that they went ahead and took that championship. He was always championing them, you know, setting them up for success. That plays a huge role, especially for these young guys out of high school and college that are brand new to the scene. And then it's really similar with Rebello too. He's extremely relatable to the players. They all feel comfortable with him. He'll talk as much smack with them as they will with him. And it kind of keeps them all in a loose place. And I think it makes it easier to set up for a run of success as a program. And obviously his track record speaks for itself. By the way, we did talk to Brian Pena. If you want to hear all that energy encapsulated in about 10 minutes, you can hear it in episode seven of the road to Detroit. That would be called get your motor running. So we talked to Brian Packard in that episode as well. And it's just aptly named for a guy like Brian Pena, but Mike Rabello, obviously his Erie team has played really well in the second half. They really have. And I mean, how could you not get excited with that rotation that they've got in Erie? It's one of the best in the Eastern league right now best but, minor league baseball absolutely and they they have some guys who i think have been a nice surprise jose azokar Derek hill some of these guys who sort of maybe fell off the radar a little bit in the last year or two they've slowly started to kind of pick up again sort of get their feet back under them at the plate all these guys are solid defenders but really hitting has been the main challenge for a lot of them give me a couple of guys in your top 30 who have struggled 
here in 2019? Just give us an idea of maybe a guy or two who hasn't really played as well as I think we expected and maybe some reasons behind that. Yeah, I would say a couple right off the bat. You mentioned Nick Quintana. He's somebody who had a very highly praised bat coming out of Arizona. Hasn't had the smoothest transition, but the good thing about him is he understands that and he knows what he's capable of. And so I think the fact that he's approaching it in a really positive way, he, he wants to make this right. And then another one, obviously, is Parker Meadows, who still very young. And I personally can't fault him for that because of the transition, the adjustment to be so young in this league and face advanced pitching. Those are a couple who have, have challenged a little bit, but at the same time, I think there's still plenty to, to look forward to with them. So trade deadline, not too far away. In terms of trying to add top-end talent, it's so hard. Teams are hoarding prospects. The quality guys that sit at the top of a system are the guys that everybody wants. And I'm sure the Tigers are asking about a lot of those guys as well. What ways can a team get creative as the team trying to acquire those high-end guys in order to make it happen in a situation like this? Yeah, that's, that is an excellent question. I know the Tigers have inquired about a few guys, Carter Keboom from the Nationals. They've asked about Luis Patino, who the Padres have sort of put on lockdown and said, no, that's that's our guy. But I think it's going to come down to, you know, do you throw in cash considerations? Do you, you know, toss in a few maybe lower level, you know, more up and coming guys who aren't quite there yet that, you know, lottery tickets, so to speak. Um, for international the t- signing money. International signing money. That's another one. And I think it's really going to come down to how Alavila decides to approach things from an aggressive standpoint. You know, how do you, do you push harder for certain things? Do you hold off a bit to make other teams add a little bit more to the table? And ultimately, how is that going to play into the rebuild? So Al's in a very tricky spot, but I think it's also a spot for him to really show off how creative he can be and see what he's able to do for the organization right now. What about something like picking up a competitive balance pick? Because that's something that the Tigers have not done you think about all these other teams that are in situations like the Tigers. The difference is, is the fact that those teams typically are in lower revenue situations, and thus they get more draft picks. They have more kicks at the can. Tigers are kind of working on an uphill battle. Is that possibly something that the Tigers could explore? Yeah, it's definitely something they could explore. And I like what you said, too, about the international side of things, too, where you know, do you dig into that market a little bit, which the Tigers haven't necessarily been as proactive in in recent years? Um, there is a chance for them to dive deeper in there. And if they get that signing money, that's a chance for them to target someone who could have a little bit more impact. But I like the competitive balance area, too. At this point, you've just got to start stocking these guys in to really build that foundation for the next few years to come. because This is going to be a very, very critical stretch of time for the team. And an easy chance, especially at those competitive balance areas, to pick up a few extra pretty highly thought of prospects. Again, Emily Walden, you can find her article, one of the more recent pieces she's done. Have you done anything else lately that you want to talk to us about for The Athletic? Um, yeah, we've done a couple of um, just different types of rankings, looked at the high A, um, the three different leagues for high A, and a few players who stuck out there. Um, and then we've got... A fun little Tigers piece coming up where we're going to talk about who could get a September call-up with Detroit. Obviously, a few names in the mix, so I'm going to spotlight a few of those guys and see what the Tigers decide to do when that time comes. You can find her on Twitter at Emily C. Walden, Emily Walden of The Athletic. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. It's nice to have you here locally so we can actually have you in studio. Good stuff. Come by anytime. Thank you so much. That's Emily Walden right here on the road to Detroit. 
talk about what's on the road ahead for the Tigers minor league system. Connecticut will take on Staten Island in a three-game homestand, and they'll be back on the road, go on against the Tri-City Dust Devils in a three-game stretch. Over to West Michigan, they begin a six-game homestand. They'll have three against Lansing, the Lug Nuts. They call it the Crush the Nuts series in West Michigan. And then the Great Lakes Loons come to town for a three-game set. Over to Lakeland. And by the way, congratulations to Andrew Graham, the manager of the Lakeland Flying Tigers. Just won his 500th game as a manager in the Detroit Tigers minor league system. Very cool for a guy who also has a championship. Won the Midwest League back in 2015 during his time in West Michigan. Over to Erie. They finish up their series at Altoona. They'll take on Trenton in a six-game series over the course of this week. They'll have four days, but two double headers mixed into the sauce there. So they had a couple of rainouts. Now they'll have to make up for some lost time. Scheduled starters for Erie this week, Tarek Skubel, Casey Mize, Anthony Castro, Alex Fiedo, all scheduled to get starts. And of course, we'll be taking a close look at the rotation in Erie because we're always taking a look at the rotation in Erie. I feel like they roll out of bed and throw no hitters. We talked about this with Emily Walden of The Athletic. She put out her ranking of the latest top 30 prospects for the Tigers at midseason. Baseball America came out with their midseason update of the Tigers' top 30 prospects. And I'll tell you what, they love them some Tarek Skubel. He has been tremendous for the Erie Seawolves. And obviously down in Lakeland, he's turned himself into a big-time prospect. We talked about this on the Road to Detroit Q&A about a week and a half ago. The fact that Tarek Skubal is considered to be one of the top pitching prospects right now in this entire system. John Morosi said that other than Casey Mize, Skubal has been getting all kinds of helium as of late. And we had heard that he might be even a top five prospect for the Tigers right now. Well, Baseball America came out with their new rankings. Guess who's number five? Tarek Skubal. So now people are really starting to take notice of what Tarek Skubal is up to. Over to Toledo. They hit the road for three games. They take on Lehigh Valley before they go to Syracuse for a three-game stretch. So that's a look at the road ahead. Now, don't forget, this is the most important part of what you can do. Go click subscribe. Leave us a rating. Tell us what you think of the show. We love to hear your thoughts. We want to hear about what you like about the show. We want to hear other ideas you have for things that we can do to continue to give you the latest and greatest from the guys on the road to Detroit. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, look up Road to Detroit, click subscribe. Funny story, every time you click subscribe, our producer Nate Wangler gets to eat lunch that day. So, very <laughs> exciting time for Nate Wangler. So, I'm very excited for you as well. Please help me out. <laughs> Please. He hasn't ate since last Tuesday. That'll do it for this edition of The Road to Detroit. Coming up next week, we're planning on hearing from Tarek Skubel. We'll talk about what's been an unbelievable run for him. That headlines RTD episode 11. This has been The Road to Detroit episode 10. For our producer, Nate Wangler, my name's Dan Hasty. You can find the Tigers on Twitter and find out all about what's going on on the Tigers minor leaguers at Road to Detroit. You can follow me as well at that Dan Hasty. We'll talk to you next week here on the RTD. See ya!